Hey, everybody. Welcome. Uh, we were taking calls today at 9842-DR-DREW. i got a couple calls on hold already. I will get to you guys in just a minute. Our laws, as it pertain to substances, are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this way. He was an alcoholic. Because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin, ridiculous I'm a, I'm a doctor for <laughs> sake. Where the hell you think I learned that? You go to treatment before you kill people. I am a clinician. I observe things about these chemicals. Let's just deal with what's real. We used to get these calls on Loveline all the time. Educate adolescents and to prevent and to treat. You have trouble. You can't stop and you want help stopping. I can help. I got a lot to say. I got a lot more to say. Uh, before the uh, mic heated up here, a couple of you were asking questions on the restream. Uh, one was first Tom Brady said, I'm biased. And I'd like to know why I started thinking about why would I be biased? I mean, I've, of course, everyone has some cognitive bias. And I thought probably my main bias is that I'm uh, biased by my biological training as a scientist. And that kind of gives you a way of approaching things that you might not approach things otherwise. That's kind of a bias. And, um, and somebody, unfortunately we erased the screen. So, but somebody asked a good question about masks. A, do they work? And uh, yes, they categorically work, particularly when both people are wearing a mask, probably of transmission that is very, very low, unless you're around that person for a long period of time and they're producing a high amount of virus. Uh, and another question was, why can't we open the country if everybody just wore masks? And that is a great question. And I wonder that myself. Um, I, I think we ought to think about that. The reason cases are coming down in the states, cases where there had been a surge is clearly because People are wearing masks and distancing and doing those things. I've now been around the country. I'm in New York City right now, and uh, people are wearing masks fastidiously here, and they're also distancing. People are scared to death. It's clear that the outbreak here scared everybody. In Georgia, and uh, Atlanta particularly, not so much. Uh, the mask wearing was a little bit spotty. And, of course, Georgia's having trouble getting it under control. And in California, people are you know, behaving themselves for the most part, at least distancing. And of course, there are people pushing back because the government in California has been excessively up our up our keister, way more than any other state I've, I've been around. It's really sort of extraordinary. Where we are, we have a marked reduction in California in death rate, hospitalization rate. The case rate is coming coming down. There's been a very slight surge lately because of a backlog of tests coming in. And the question then becomes: Why are they threatening us with more closures? Why are they doing arbitrary closures of certain kinds of restaurants and hair salons? I mean, it's really so arbitrary. It, I, I liken it to some sort of concentration camp compared to other states where people are doing it voluntarily. In New York, there was a lot of lockdown, and they're trying to loosen things up quite a bit now. And um, people just aren't coming out. They aren't, they're just out of the city because they're scared to death. So that's what's going on in New York. Uh, I want to look at some of your questions here. Do I believe in herd immunity? Again, belief is not the issue. What is the scientific evidence? We just don't know what the level is, uh, the percentages of cases for there to be herd immunity. I can tell you in Ventura County, which is just north of, Cal of Los Angeles County, cases have all of a sudden just dried up. They've just gone away. And one of the thoughts is that either the thing has run its course there or there is a certain level of, of herd immunity. Yeah, Ashley, our government in California is, particularly if you add the, the state government who has been capricious and arbitrary, inconsistent and hypocritical. And then the city government in Los Angeles has been bizarre, bizarre, really, truly bizarre, threatening us. The mayor of Los Angeles has a, has a, uh, a scale from green to red 
and just just short of red is orange, and he's been holding it at orange in spite of a massive. We're we're better off now in terms of hospitalization and death rate than we were in May, but he's threatening to close the whole place down for, you know, in the name of love, in the name of love. Uh, very 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 wise. Uh, okay, let me just look around at some of your questions here. Um, some I had some emails that are interesting. I'm going to go to those as well. Uh, give me a second to look at you guys. Uh, good morning, Julia. Um, and I'm, uh, Tom, I'm still looking for you to give me some instruction on, uh, not Tom Cigar, Tom Brady, on what my biases are. Because uh, if I'd love to know so I can keep an eye on them. So I can, uh, you know, biases are like uh, blind spots. And you know, the way our cognitive systems work is they have glitches in them called cognitive biases or cognitive, di- cognitive biases is a good way to think about it. And um, I want to know where mine are. Uh, do I think Kanye is actually ill? Um, I've seen Behavior Bell where he clearly is hypomanic. And he, uh, his mom has said he has bipolar. He takes bipolar medication. He has described his bipolar disease. His wife describes his bipolar disease. I will take them at their word. Uh, it looks like it smells like it, and they claim it. Uh, apparently, the mom used to really manage the medication. And bipolar disorder is a biological, genetic thing. And it's treated with medicine. And if you don't take the medicine, it eventually spirals. It's kind of the way I think about bipolar disorder, I think of it like a seizure disorder. You have a seizure disorder, you take the medicine, it can be controlled, you can come off the medicine for a while, but the seizures will come back, much the same way with bipolar disorder, particularly bipolar one. Uh, 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 um, am I happier now, Redox Sarah, in, in a different environment? Yeah, yeah. Um, I will tell you two things. Uh, I was getting depressed in California, uh, mostly having difficulty initiating things and you know finding enjoyment in pre- previously enjoyable things. Um, and um, Tom Cigar says I'm done in Kruger right now, right now, right now. But coming to Georgia and going into the sort of away from Atlanta and where people are just living their lives was like a breath of fresh air. And then now here in New York City, uh, just having the hope that this will get restored soon enough, because they really they only have 500 cases in the entire state of New York. I mean, it's sort of done here. And people are being very compliant with distancing masks and things. And so they could really get things going again here pretty readily, uh, though it's kind of weird. It's it's nice on one hand, because you can walk around New York City and no one's here. On the other hand, it feels like Armageddon a little bit. And in a, in a city like New York, you can't find a restaurant very easily. That's rough. That's rough. Am I moving out of California, Justin? I would kill to move out of California, but I'm pretty encumbered there. Uh, I don't know anyone that I speak to who's not trying to find an escape route from California. So uh, it, it's going to be a massive exodus. So hopefully the rest of you that, that we were us Californians end up, I'm sorry if we bring our Californianess along with us. Uh, how is flying? Yeah, Michelle, it's interesting. Flying seem very safe. The flight attendants, there are no sick flight attendants. There are no sick pilots. Everyone wears their mask. Again, out of Atlanta, uh, the Atlanta airport, I, there was a lot of this kind of mask wearing, which is no bueno. If you don't put the mask over your nose, you're not covering. It's an often nose-to-nose transmission. In fact, the primary means of entry is through your nose, but you can also give it to somebody else through your nose, through their nose. So um, both people have to have it over their face, their mouth, and, and nose. So um, just to be sure, I was retested again today. Uh, I've been tested before. I'll be tested again today, and we'll see tomorrow what my results are. And uh, we'll go from there. Uh, 
Okay. Let me go to some calls here to warm. Oh, we got lots of calls here. We'll warm things up with callers. Um, all right. Let's talk to, we'll just go down the line here. Stephanie, what's going on? Hey, Drew. Stephanie? You live, number one. You live? Um, what's going on? I have a question. <laughs> I My partner was taking Celexa for depression. He stopped taking the medication on his own and has since replaced it with, I, I say replaced it, but he started using THC edibles. And what okay. I have noticed is almost like a cyclothymic disorder that he's has little, developed from little, that, that I didn't see when he was taking Alexa. When he's up and down, is he irritable? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, so he he can become very irritable on sort of a dime. Um, and he has, at times, really pressured speech and a flight of ideas. And um, he's Good very way. creative. And he's like not okay, so, not quite, I mean, yeah. he's almost kind of hypomanic. Right. So, so um, and but then he can be down uh, too people, when he's laying on the couch. I, and, right. Okay. So the, it it really sounds like a bipolar two episode, right? The cyclothymia is sort of uh, not used so often these days. At least I see it rarely used. That, that people are using bipolar two as as a descriptor that we used to sort of throw cyclothymia into. And look, people should not be treating themselves for any medical conditions. And I don't care what he's using. He's using a, a pharmacological, uh, you know, it's a pharmacologically affecting his brain to treat a medical problem. You, you can't be objective about your own care. It's why I can't even care for my own family. And I certainly wouldn't care for myself. You can't be objective. Somebody has to be assessing you for the effect of the pharmacological agent, whatever it is. So he needs to get back in with the psychiatrist. Was it a psychiatrist that he was seeing? No, it was just a GP, and um, I mean, his his argument against the Selexa in particular is that he felt like it stifled his creativity, and so I was curious if there's some that's other like, sort of, if that's a common video. complaint. If he is, well, yes, yeah, oh, sure. Uh, and people complain they can't feel is sort of what they feel like, but but look, there's nothing magical about Selexa. I, I don't, I, I'm not a big Selexa fan, by the way, and and he and if he has a bi, truly has a bipolar condition, you should not be treated with Selexa either. You should be treated with a mood stabilizer. And the fact that the doctor missed that or missed the potential for that concerns me greatly. So he really should see a psychiatrist. That's really what he needs is a psychiatric consultation. So don't worry about what he's taking. Let's get him to a proper specialist for that care. Thank you for the call, Stephanie. We appreciate it. Whoops. Hold on here one second. Uh, I wanted to talk to Tyler here. Okay. Tyler, what's going on, buddy? Hi, Dr. Drew. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, my question is a little bit of a turn on a cannabis question as well. Um, I'm having my gallbladder removed tomorrow because I was diagnosed with bilaterally dyskinesia, gastritis. I'm having upper right abdominal pain, back pain. Um, I'm retching bile and sometimes spots of blood. And it's severely impacted my appetite. Uh, I'm, all, I'm prescribed or I'm registered with the state of Florida to use cannabis. And I get the oil from a dispensary, and I use it uh, as as recommended by my doctor, who has did rec my recommendation. Could it be camp? What I've learned recently called something called cannabinoid hypermesis. Yeah, one hundred percent. In fact, that's was when I read your call. That's why I wanted to take your call. I figured I can guarantee you that's what it is. 
It's so, if everyone I know, every patient I've seen that use cannabis, at least on a heavy basis, long enough, they get the hyperemesis. They get it. And it's it, the intensity, the hyperemesis is, can be so violent that you can get exactly what you're talking about. You get back pain and chest wall pain from all the retching. And people even develop something that the emergency room doctors have uh, characterized as scrometing. You're vomiting so much, you scream while you're vomiting. Like you're, oh, you're retching so terribly. And uh, it's very, very common these days. And, the, and by the way, the treatment is a shower, a warm shower. Have you noticed that, that helps it? Um, no, not really. No, no I haven't. I'm not. I've, I've, I've saw baths and warm water, but I don't have a bath. So <laughs> I did not think of warm water. Yeah. So that's one thing to try. And again, if you're retching and vomiting, of course, you get gastritis, you get esophagitis, you get all those things secondarily to all the vomiting. So, uh, rough man, that that's, uh, but taking the gallbladder out will not change it. Do you not have, do you have stones in your gallbladder? Uh, no, no stones, but it is not, uh, contracting. I think it's contracting. It's, it's supposed to be contracting at some 30%. It's contracting at 20%. The, that is a non-clinic they are reaching, man. And why didn't they think about cannabis hyperemesis? Uh, they did. I did cease, I did cessate from it, uh, for approximately two weeks and it did not change the pressure and the, uh, area yeah. or in the back. Right, right, right. That that would take more like six to eight weeks, probably. Uh, in that that, that right. okay. the, the, you have to have no vomiting for an extended period of time for the for the musculoskeletal stuff to kind of settle. But you know, uh, it'll at least take one thing off the table in terms of potential causes for what you're experiencing. And um, you know, it seems like a lot to go through. Uh, rough. What were you taking the cannabis for again? Uh, PTSD and uh, establishing anxiety disorder from the military. Yeah. Was, was it working? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I it treats the onset of, yeah. I have bad panic attacks. Um, so it, it, it severely helps day to day, but, uh, is there any way you could use it about. on, could you use it like on an intermittent, intermittent basis? Could you use it on an intermittent basis? Like, could you use it for, you know, when attacks come on or when you're having a bad stretch, use it for a few days and you can use it heavily, you know, as long as you're not using it heavily without remission, that that's what the, the vomiting comes in. You know what I mean? Right. I'm not a, I'm not a heavy, heavy user. I don't eat it. Um, I, like I said, once in the morning is about, and once at night is about all I do. Uh, but mm. yeah, I, uh, it's, it's mm. usually, it's, if I, if I start having a panic attack then that's when I use it, sometimes I go days without it, but, uh, it's usually to treat panic attacks when I feel yeah, them come on. What I'm asking is, can you can you do away with the the, the baseline to back the background dose and just use it for the attacks? Absolutely. Is that my yeah? Thing? Absolutely. Um, I mean, my it, it my only last thing I want to point out is yes. Uh, my, the right. last thing I want to point out is uh, it, I started feeling this pressure about two years ago when I never started using cannabis when I actually was discharged from the military. I never touched it before. Yeah, I mean, so, again, it's, I, it's 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 uh, it's. I'm not saying please don't have this done. Uh, I, I'm saying seems like a lot to go through, and there are other things that could be done instead. But once you have this done, if you still have problems, you, at least you know it's not this, right? Right. Ten four. Yeah. You know yes, mean? sir. 
Yeah. So let, let me know how it goes. Be, I'm interested to see how they approach this because uh, it's complicated, right? It's very complicated. I'm glad, I'm glad the canvas is working for you. You sound fine. Uh, uh, let me see. Uh, I'm not quite sure what Johnny means here. Let me ask Johnny to see what Johnny's up to. Uh, Johnny, go ahead there. What's going on? Hey there, Dr. Dude. Just wanted to say, first off, a uh, long-time listener to you. Very much looked up to you as a father figure from uh, age 10 to 17 as I listened to Loveline religiously. Yeah. And I'm the son of a physician, so very much appreciate you uh, being there for us. We all need a little Dr. Drew in our lives. Here's uh, what I'm getting at with my question. Um, you know, my father suggested to me, hey, you might uh, think about becoming a uh, contact tracer. And it just seems to yeah. me COVID-19 is so widespread. Uh, the testing is so messed up. Can we really get our arms around this with contact tracing? Is it worthwhile to sign up to become a part of that effort? Uh, I certainly think it's worthwhile to be part of the effort, and I appreciate you even thinking about it. Uh, I, I to throw your hands up and go, "Oh, the whole thing's a mess. It's, it's worthless." Is not true. It's just not true. We we are doing a pretty darn good job of can contact tracing. The, the problem are the asymptomatic carriers we don't know about, right? And that's where things are a little bit, right. the horse is out of the barn somewhat. But in terms of people that are having documented uh, viral testing, we have to, we need people to get their, get them, get the hold of the contacts. I mean, that's, that's how we have dealt with infectious diseases throughout history. And that's the primary means. That's just going back to old fashioned quarantine and contact tracing. It works. That's why we've always done it that way. The rest of us just need to wear our masks so we don't get exposed to the ones out in the wild that we don't know about. No, I think it'd be great. Right. So so factoring that in, though, with everyone and the trickiness of getting everyone to wear their masks and do the right thing, do you think at this point in time with where we're at, it's reasonable and it's doable? I, 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 I don't know what you mean by reasonable and doable. It definitely is reasonable. It definitely is effective. Is it going to control the whole thing? It is categorically not going to. But it's going to at least prevent you know, localized outbreaks from spreading, right? It's the, again, okay, it's so just one arrow in the quiver then. Yeah, 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 yeah. We, we got to fight this thing every way we can. It, 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 this is an important one. And again, I, I, if we're all wearing our masks, it could be a very important one. Thank you for doing that, my friend. Hey, um, Rachel Eagleton is an ER nurse, and she says, I've seen increase in patients coming in with cannabis hyperemesis, cyclic emesis, right? Uh, cyclic THC emesis, it's called. I feel the increase in frequency of, of this population um, in 20-something patients. Do I feel, me, that this condition is becoming more common because of the medicinal THC use? Um, it actually, of course, right, of course it is. Um, but uh, I actually saw the real increase come in California when we made the recreational legal. Uh, that's, when it, that's when it really escalated. So uh, I suspect that's more what we're seeing. Uh, okay, let me get other questions in here. Uh, I did not see your super chat. Uh, please let me know uh, what that was. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm just going to look at your questions. Um, Dr. Yo has some exciting stuff about Laron Lamab. I'm aware of that, and I will be talking to Dr. Patterson and Dr. Yo next week. So look forward to that. Uh, the data, the preliminary data, looks very, very good for that for that product. Uh, Dr. Fauci seems to be pretty unhappy with how we're handling the COVID in the U.S. so far. Um, I don't know that that's true. That's an interesting question, even. I, I wouldn't call him unhappy. 
uh, I would him just maybe he's frustrated a little bit because it is a difficult problem. Uh, I don't see. Mm, I'm not sure where things would have been different in this country, almost no matter what we did. Uh, so, I mean, look at California, for instance. We locked down completely for forever. And when we all came out, it spread all over the place. Look at, look at, well, you see that in almost every country where they try lockdown. So, so it's almost as though there needs to be a, an intermediate kind of living with the virus, accepting a certain uh, attack rate from the virus, but wearing our masks, changing our behavior, doing these things that really re- prevent it from escalating and, and keep it at a slow boil until we can get the vaccine. I think that's a, and that's kind of what we've done. Does quercetin work the same as hydroxychloroquine? It's similar. It's similar. Uh, let me see what else you guys got going up here. Just look at your questions and I'm going to go back to the calls. So hang on there. Uh, 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 uh. Oh, and also Rachel Eagleton, I think it's the con- the, the concentration that people are using too. They're, they're sort of very quickly escalating the, the doses into range that are more prone to cause the hyperemesis syndrome. And, and I know you've seen lots of it because it's very common in the ER these days. Mm. What are my thoughts on gabapentin and lamotrigine in combo to regulate severe bipolar? Lamotrigine is a great bipolar medicine if you can tolerate the higher doses of it. And uh, gabapentin is a benign medicine that, again, is a seizure medicine. Remember I talked about bipolar being like a seizure? Uh, it, that calms the, the hyperactivity of the nervous system. Let's think about it that way. And it's a very safe medication with almost no side effects except at the higher doses. All right. Look at the bottom of the page one more time. What would happen to, what would happen, would have to happen to stop using masks? Herd immunity or uh, vaccines? I mean, that's really what it boils down to right now. Now, uh, Randy, Fauci is not a frog. I've known Fauci for 35 years and he's been the same. Uh, He's a little conservative. He's a little excessive in his rhetoric sometimes, but in terms of um, worst case kinds of scenarios he describes, but he's extremely careful with his language. I will, I will, uh, yeah, my number is 9842, Dr. Drew, for phone calls. I'll get to that in a second. But I will remind everybody again that when he's, when he talked about masks, I'm going to review this uh, one more time. He said, masks, please don't use masks. This was in the fog of the early phase of the uh, pandemic because we need to preserve the personal protective gear for the first line workers. That was a fact. We had, we had a problem that way. Number two, he said it had not been shown to be effective. That was a fact. Number three, and he said, and I don't want people's hands going to their face to adjust the mask. Every time I put a mask on, my hands go up every two minutes. And I was always trained, and he, of course, was as well, that most viral illness are transmitted by the hands. Now, we didn't know that it was just particularly droplet to nose type transmission, as we now know that that's the vast, vast, vast majority. Remember back early in the pandemic, we were all washing, we were washing our hands and it would be weird how we picked up Amazon packages. And when we brought food back home from the grocery store, we were all, you know, we were exercised about how we managed it. That was because we thought it was transmitted by by the hands on on uh, left on services. Remember all that data? It's left on services for three days. It lives on services. Doesn't matter. None of that matters. We thought it matters. It really doesn't. I mean, something that were for us good to know, we should still wash our hands. We still should keep our hands away from our face. We still should sometimes wear gloves. But the primary transmission is here. That's why we wear the, the uh, covers over our mouth. 
Um, why wearing goggles now? Because there was some concern about aerosol in addition to water droplets. And we want to protect your eyes if you can. Uh, Laura May loves wearing her mask. Uh, is metformin safe to take? Uh, yes, it is. Um, it has to be medically managed. And of course, um, there's some good data that shows it improves longevity. If you have polycystic ovarian disease, it helps with insulin, into- insulin intolerance. And of course, if you're head towards type 2 diabetes, it's very, uh, very important. Uh, Jesse, how are you doing there? Dr. Drew, my man. I've been listening to this for like 20 years. I love you, man. Uh, you taught me so much. Uh, so look, I'm tapering off of Xanax, and um, yeah, I was self-medicating for a while, and it, I went cold turkey back in January, and it was terrifying. I was hallucinating. I couldn't yeah. get any sleep. Yeah. I couldn't eat. Yeah, it's and so now I'm wondering if you, if you uh, know anything about the Ashton method, and if it's uh, successful. Is that what is that the the rapid detox thing? Well, it it. I mean, I don't have healthcare. I would love to go to a facility where they could do it professionally. But I've been reading, and apparently, this Ashton method you just basically taper off of the the dosage, you know, slowly. And I'm only down mm. to like a quarter of a bar a day, maybe at the most. So I'm wondering. I mean, what what would be your advice for? getting off of this right. terrible drug. All right. So, so yeah, yeah. So slow tapers have been around forever. Uh, they are very difficult. True addicts cannot do that. They can't do it. Uh, somebody like yourself, it sounds like, who just got dependent on a drug, which is different than addiction, they can sometimes pull that off. But the hardest part oftentimes is where you are now. You're at one milligram a day. You've got to still be dropping every week or two by about a quarter of a tablet. Uh, so somehow you've got to find your way to one milligram and then break that into fourths or take a fourth off to right. start with and then take a half off. Are you going down every week or two? Yeah, so far I've gotten down to about an eight and uh, I, I eight, just try to go as long a, as I can eighth before. Of a, eighth of a two milligram bar then. Of a, right, right. Yeah. An eighth of a so I'm bar. just, right, I, so I, I, I hold all. I hold off until, you know, the last minute where I'm starting to feel, you know, severely uncomfortable. Yeah. Even when you go from, you know, a tenth to zero, you're going to feel that. Uh, Typically, you know, the kinds of medicine that we use to help with that, we use anti-seizure medicines like Depakote. We use Neurontin at high doses and we use phenobarbital. And that, you know, I I usually do, uh, in, in my world, I bring people in the hospital and I get them off in 10 days. Uh, it's really pretty easy and I've done it for years and years and years. Um, but you have to have health insurance and you have to write, I understand how difficult it is to get access to that kind of thing. And you're almost there. You're almost there. But if you can find your way to smaller milligram tablets and then start breaking those up, I think that will help you because going from that, you know, even that half a milligram to zero, it's, it can be a little rough. And, and I obviously the responsible thing would be for you to have medical management because your seizure risk is going to be substantial. Okay, you've got to understand that. Um, uh, 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 thank you for calling, by the way. Uh, this is Jim. Hey, Jim, what's up? Hey, I've got a question about my father's sobriety. He's gone now, but that, I've been watching this TV show called Shameless, and one of the characters on there is a recovering alcoholic with about a year of sobriety, and 
the, right. the show shows him just every day struggling with not drinking that day, dealing with his problems for that day. It's just every day. My dad stayed sober for 17 years, and I'm, I'm wondering if that's the experience for alcoholics, that every single day they're, they're starting um, fresh and if, having to try to stay sober that ever, day. If he's not... If he's not doing anything active in his recovery, he, what he's doing what's called white knuckling. And nobody can sustain, well, not nobody. People rarely can sustain that. They always, they tend to relapse when they tr- try to hang on by themselves. Okay. Which is why we have 12, which is why we have 12 step. And 12 step, now there's a, a Cochrane analysis done by the head of addiction medicine at Harvard University, which shows conclusively that, that 12 step is free, it's available on every street corner figuratively speaking, and it is as effective as any professionally managed intervention, especially if abstinence is your goal. So it's excellent, it works, and it replaces, it's designed specifically to help people with that struggle. And once they get a recovery program in place, it becomes much easier, particularly after the first year. Okay. My dad was very active in the 12-step. He actually was a Oh, so yeah. he went back and got a certification to be a counselor. So, oh yeah, so he's he's the real deal. And for somebody like that, they they have they they have dividends that pay out. They they feel differently at five years, seven years, ten years. It really each of those is an interesting landmark for them, where they have different kinds of challenges and different things emerge. But they they do great, and of course they're helping other people all along the way, right? His funeral was full of people I'd never met in my life. They came up and thanked me for what my dad had done for him. And I had no idea what he had done. Uh, mm. So yeah, interesting. But thank you very much. You got it, buddy. Thank you so much. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's go through here. Uh, oh my gosh. How about this? This is a message from somebody that uh, we helped marry. Right, Judy? Hi, Dr. Drew. Yes. How are you? Tell, tell everybody. Tell everybody how we met and what happened. Oh wow! Um, well, uh, you and Adam married Benny and I um, on a cruise um, October fifth last year. And, um, yeah. So hello. It was it was the best wedding ever. Um, it was a surprise to all our friends too. So anyway, I just was checking in because I'm from New Jersey, as you know, Benny and I, and um, we're in the hot spot. <laughs> we did, yeah, you are. And, but no, we well, <clears throat> technically where we live, right. not because uh, we live in a very rural area up near the Appalachian Trail. So right. we were locked down in our place for 30 days. What a great way to spend our first year of marriage to the pandemic. I'm going to put you on hold, Judy. Your your call was breaking up like crazy. Great to hear from you, Adam. The, seems like a lifetime ago we were on a cruise with Adam Carolla and his whole world of people, and uh, he and I married Judy and her husband, and they're doing great. and And uh, interestingly, they're in the rural part of New Jersey. With often people don't think about New Jersey's having rural parts. It does, and they can be quite beautiful. Uh, uh, Susan, what's the matter? I hear, I hear my wife laughing in the other room. You want to join me here? If we're going to be laughing out loud, we have to... Maybe not. All right, let's talk to uh, Shannon. Hey, Shannon, what's going on? Uh, hi, Dr. Drew. Huge fan. Watch all your shows. 
Um, I was calling because I used to have an insanely high sex drive. Like, I was like a boy. Like, wanted to have sex every hold single on, day. Hold on, Shannon. Then I'm going to interrupt you one sec. Uh, Shannon, you there? I'm here. All right, let's try Yes, again. I'm here. Okay, let's try Okay, so um, I, I used to have an incredibly high sex drive. I was... I would consider myself like a man because I would want to have sex every day. I thought about sex all the time. I watched your shows about, um, you know, uh, love addiction, sex addiction. I thought I had that. Then I had um, my two daughters with my husband. And um, after my second daughter, I had endometrial ablation because I was bleeding so much. And then since then, I've had the weirdest um, side effects. And one of them was just zero sex drive. Hmm. So let's let's talk about that for a minute. Now, having a high sex drive is not sex addiction. Sex addiction is about needing more and more and more diverse stimulation in spite of consequences. Right? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did, okay. I didn't have that then. I didn't do it yeah. in spite of so consequences. And, and the and the sex addicts always complain. I just want to have a relationship, and yet they're having you know physical intimacies with you know all these people and all these strange situations and they ask me more and more bizarre and more and more intense intensity is what uh, sex addiction is about high sex drive is just high sex drive and that's good that's a healthy thing um now why it would have dropped off it can sometimes drop off just after pregnancy particularly you know as you go along with the pregnancies it can get worse so i'm wondering if it really wasn't the endometrial ablation it was just the the pregnancy and you never sort of came back after that is that possible? Have you talked to your doctor about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, um, I'm convinced that that started the catalyst because now I have like, what do you call it, where the clitoris is covered. But, um, but just the fact that like I had a very high testosterone level before I had my children, like, like mm-hmm. eighty nine or something, <laughs> and mm-hmm. now it's like less than one. Oh, so well, I wondered if it was just they, I had a crazy high testosterone. That. Yeah, absolutely. Now, why you suddenly stop making testosterone is sort of interesting. And that's kind of, you know, I wonder if somebody could figure out why that happened. But in the meantime, why not just supplement that? I've tried creams, but they just don't do the trick. And then um, I've considered injections, but I know those can come with health risks or something. Why don't you why don't you look at the bioidentical pellets? I've seen a lot of good results with people that know how to do that. In fact, um, we're, we were going to do another show soon. Um, there's probably one up on my website with Dr. Donovan where we go into great detail about this, and we're going to bring him back soon because I really oh, okay. do believe that this is something that's effective for women. It's just called bioidentical pellets. Um, Susan, do you have the info mm-hmm. on uh, Dr. Donovan and where she can look to get his information? Remember his website and stuff? Oh, here she comes. Uh, Dr. Donovan's website. Yeah, go. Dr. Donovitz. Donovitz, right, Donovitz. And his website. Dr. Donovitz. I'll put the link on. Okay, we're going to put the link on the restream so you can just look at it on the chat, okay? I, is she on, what is she on, Facebook? Uh, wh- she on wh- Facebook? Where are you watching us, uh, Shannon? YouTube. YouTube. Okay. She's on YouTube. on YouTube. So she'll put it up on YouTube so you can get the reference I, I- to his stuff. Go ahead. Okay. And then my second thing was, is I, I just feel bad because I, I feel like I kind of tricked my husband. He married somebody who wanted sex every day. <laughs> now, like now wow. that we've been married 15 years, it's like a desert and I just feel so bad. And that was yeah, the other kind of question I had. It's like, do I just wow. force myself to do it when I'm not in the mood? 
Well, I, I mean, if you can, I, I, obviously, uh, usually people feel once they can get over the hump, so to speak, they they feel like they, they're mm-hmm. fine with it. It's just when you don't have the motivation to do it, it's kind of rough. And if you really have had a shutdown, are you on any medication? Yes. Yeah, I have um, like idiopathic insomnia since a child, since I was a child. So that's, uh, I'm on a lot of medicine for sleep. Well, maybe that's doing it too, by the way, because that, that's common for, particularly if you're on antidepressants or tricyclics or any of those things. I mean, that classically will just shut your libido down to zero. In fact, the reason I asked the way I asked, the way you're describing it, it sounds like that shutdown that we see from medication, where it's actually weird to mm. see people kissing, that people kissing looks kind of uncomfortable to you. And if you're having that, you have got to go talk to your doctor about the medication, because that that the medicine is then interfering with your marriage. Okay. Okay. So there's that. Secondly, you should get Mm -hmm. the testosterone up and it may be the medicine that's driving the testosterone down. Who knows? Uh, And thirdly, your husband just appreciates that you're concerned about this. I mean, that's his main concern. You got to understand that during early child rearing years, most marriages are at their sort of nadir in terms of this kinds of activity and satisfaction and stuff. So it's normal, in a sense, to not be where you used to be when you're trying to raise little kids, right? So, and, and mm-hmm. I'm sure your husband is a dedicated father, and he just appreciates that you're concerned about him. Oh, yeah. And that, and you talk, he's, but you've got, he's you know, great. I just, I feel bad. <laughs> I get it. I get it. And you've got at least three different things you can look into to correct this. Testosterone replacement, we're going to put that up on okay. YouTube. Talk to your doctor about adjusting your okay. medication so it's not shutting you down so much. And anything in the antidepressant category can completely shut you down. Uh, let's see. Uh-huh. Uh, oof. Some interesting questions here. Mm. Okay, let's try this. See, Travis has an interesting question. Travis, let's get have at it. What do you got there? Hey, Dr. Drew, can you hear me? I do. I got you. Hey, you wearing a high and tight? High and tight, my friend. Hi, Mommy. So my question is about the Dr. Vladimir that you spoke with recently. Dr. Uh, Zelenko? Uh, the... The guy who you talked with hydroxychloroquine about who uh, who said he, uh, I guess, managed a bunch of other countries. It says his well, name is Dr. Vladimir. People, Vladimir Zelenko. Yes. Vladimir Zelenko. Yes. I did talk to that guy. Yes. Yes. yes that guy. So I posted that on social media and I got a bunch of articles linking that he actually may not have treated a bunch of people. And I'm very frustrated with that because this drug seems like it actually does help people. So how do I right. convince, or not maybe convince, but, it, you know, it has become, say that yeah, like, I this know, Travis, is not it's, what you yeah, think it is. In a strange way, we it's live really in a world where science, and it is very frustrating. Uh, we, it, this is a discourse that should be had amongst physicians and scientists only. Uh, people who just learn how to pronounce right. hydroxychloroquine should not have an opinion about this. Uh, I have been using hydroxychloroquine for 35 years. 
I just did my, on, on the flight over here, I did my continu- continuing medical education for, uh, for rheumatology. And lo and behold, Plaquenil is still main drug of choice for lupus and many rheumatoid arthritis cases. And it's so safe, one of the few drugs you can give to pregnant women. This is something I did not know. I've never seen a side effect from it. I can't say that of Tylenol or aspirin, but I've used it. I've probably prescribed 100, excuse me, 1,000 doses. I've never seen one side effect. I can't say that of any other medication. So, and I would never, and I don't. So I don't people aren't going blind. No, God, no. That that we would what That's we good. would do is That's what people say, are saying. Okay, so we would having again a thousand doses out there with my name on it. I would tell the patients at the at the end of a year, see the ophthalmologist because it can it cause corneal deposits, and in around ten years, there's a rare retinal condition that you can get. So that's what I would have them do: is every year see an ophthalmologist. Never anything wrong, ever. Now chloroquine which is the medicine that was used for malaria, and I used to prescribe that for malaria all the time, is available over-the-counter, it's so safe, in countries right. that have malaria. I even said that. I, I, and by the way, I have seen side effects from chloroquine. Chloroquine is a bit dicey. Uh, chloroquine can cause mental status okay. changes and mood changes. Chloroquine I would not be super happy with. But hydroxychloroquine um, is, a, is a, such a benign medicine, and it costs pennies. And so what's the harm? Well, there are some studies that show in advanced COVID, maybe there's some harm. Okay. And they've also shown that in hospitalized patients, there is probably no benefit. They can't say for sure. They say definitely no harm, probably no harm, probably no benefit. But okay, because that's really not what it's meant for. What it's meant for is very early in the illness. The first couple of days when the viral reproduction, the viral replication is up, that's where it interferes with zinc. And by the way, none of the studies were done with zinc. So the one study we're right. missing is the time frame in which this is likely to be useful with zinc. There was a study that came out in New England Journal last week about prophylaxis, meaning they gave it to people who had an immediate exposure to, uh, to uh, COVID. It didn't seem to work very well, again, without zinc. So I'm, I'm prepared to say, okay, no good for prophylaxis. Okay, no good for hospitalized patient. Show me the data with zinc on patients early in the illness, because that worldwide is where it's being used, and they're showing some efficacy. And that's what Dr. Zelenko was talking about. So uh, I will uh, continue to be um, essentially. Uh, I will if I got COVID, I would take it immediately with zinc and uh, with azithromycin, right? Because there's no harm, no foul. Um, whether I would recommend it to other people, exactly. I have. I have used it therapeutically, uh, and sometimes it seems to work, sometimes not so much. Uh, it does not affect the cytokine storm, which is really the really challenging part of this. And the Ronlimab now, we've got that it looks good for it. We have IL-6 inhibitors. We have Decadron. We have all these things. We have, we have uh, convalescent plasma. We have all these things now we can do for the cytokine activation syndrome, which is why the death rate is going down, which is why people are staying out of the ICUs. So things are getting better on all fronts. Hopefully, we will see soon enough, Travis, the, uh, the results uh, on the early use of hydroxychloroquine with zinc. Uh, certainly, at this point, no, no harm, no foul. As I said, in my, I get these medical education exams I have to take, and one of the questions, it was, you know, should you use this in a pregnant woman was essentially the question. I said, no, I don't use anything in pregnant women, so I'll push no. And lo and behold, they were recommending it for rheumatoid arthritis in pregnant women. That's how safe it is, which was stunning to me. That was stunning to me. Uh, okay, I'm trying to get to your. Uh, mm. 
Okay. This is a Cassandra. Has sort of an addiction question. Yep, Cassandra, you've go got ahead. Cassandra. Hey there. Hi, go how ahead. are you? Good. What's Good. happening? Um, so, what was, so I have a question. Um, and the question that I called in for is about I have a sister who moved in with us. She has struggled with heroin and meth addiction and just addiction in general, really, for her whole life. Um, she spent about the last five, six years, um, she was on the streets and had a situation with a really toxic family she was trying to help. And so she's had about mm, six to eight months sober. And then when COVID came around, she was having a hard time finding a sober living place to stay at that she was comfortable. So I, she was doing so good at the time that I invited her to come stay with, with us in our home. Um, since then though. The problem is I'm not her types of drug counselors or, or counselors at all that she was getting help from when she was living with them. So now it's really hard for me to like, it, everything is sketchy, you know, and I, I have a hunch that she's using, but she also struggles severely for mental health issues. And my question is, mm. how do I navigate this without hurting her more, feeling more like someone who loves her thinks she's bad or not good? That's not it. I understand right. addiction. She needs help. but. Yeah. I yeah, also yeah. have a, so a stay, child in the house stay. too, so then like it's just like yeah. hundred long. Okay. Uh, what is your drug of choice? Uh, heroin mostly and, and meth. And, Opiates and of meth. any kind really. Yeah, and the meth it really throws it, you know, throws her onto the streets. I'm sure she ends up on the streets with this. Uh, and uh, right. what is her mental health problem? Um, what she's been diagnosed with is bipolar. Um, I have seen her with, I, I am not obviously a psychologist or anything, but I have seen her switch like personality stuff and forget things and not like, like psychotic. But, she has psychotic I mean, all breaks. that can be, yeah, but all that can be, all that can be math. That can all be math. So, so unless, you know, unless she's been yeah. on math oh, several yeah. months, no, nobody should be making any uh, psychiatric diagnoses of that sort with her. And sometimes meth induces bipolar disorder. I mean, sometimes it comes on because of the meth. But anyway. Uh, neither here nor there. Do you go to Al-Anon? What was that? Do I go to Al-Anon? No, I, that's probably the answer, huh? I don't. That's that's okay. going to make the difference. Yeah, that's good. That's how you you're not going to be able to manage her by yourself. You got to understand that when you're mm-hmm. around the disease of addiction, you're in the disease of addiction. Okay, that's how it works. Yeah, it's, it's a relational. Like it. It's you, you've been sucked into it enough to know that you been put through the spin cycle. You have to have somebody standing there with you going, no, no, uh-uh, come on, uh, let's talk about it. You have to have that all the time or every interaction with your sister will end up contributing to the problem. And when you get into Al-Anon, you will stop, you will change the dance you have with your sister and, it, and she'll feel that change and it kind of gets her attention sometimes. It might, it might be, and certainly it will give you a strategy to go back to her and say, can I, we get you to a doctor? We try again with sober living. You've got to get her back into medical care. That's the goal here, right? Yeah, she does need to be back into medical care. Yeah. Absolutely. And that, that's bottom okay. line, but you're not going to be able to pull like that off yourself. You, you, you're going to need support for that one. And that is the old al program. I don't go into patients. You know, when I'm working with addicts, I don't go in by myself. What I always tell people is the disease of addiction is, the perfect model for the disease of addiction is the the plant and the little shop of horrors, the Audrey II plant, the feed me, feed me plant. If somebody goes in the room with the plant, the plant eats it. 
unless there's somebody with the person holding them back from getting eaten from the plant and then they're able to manage it. The addiction works exactly like that. It, it takes everything in that, the identified patient, the person with the disease, it takes their relationships and sucks them into the illness. And, and they're geniuses at it. I mean, it's, I get sucked into it too. Uh, somebody said that the um, FDA is uh, not allowing doctors to prescribe uh, hydroxychloroquine. The FDA doesn't get to tell doctors how to prescribe anything. The FDA has nothing to do with the practice of medicine. The FDA determines whether drugs can be brought to market. The FDA can give us guidelines. What we do as physicians is up to us. The FDA is not involved with that. So I, it makes me very angry when people bring up the FDA. And the AMA has nothing to do with it. Our professional societies, I'm part of the American College of Physicians. There's American College of Surgeons. Professional societies do set many standards that we follow. But what people think is going on is not going on. Not. The FDA works with the drug companies to, to give them the parameters for what they can bring to market. What we do with the medicine is up to us working with our patients. So that's that. Uh, okay. DEA is the drug. Uh, I'm sorry. FDA. I beg your pardon. I said DEA. You, thank you for calling me out on that. FDA, the uh, Food and Drug Administration. I said DEA, which is the Drug Enforcement Agency, is, is a whole different thing. That's a, that's a legal arm of enforcement of not, not related to doctors uh, at all unless we break the law. Uh, okay. Uh, why not consider FDA? I don't know what that means. Um, mm -mm -mm. I'm looking around, guys, see if there are other questions for you that I can address here. Uh, if I'm testing repeatedly, or am I seeing patients? Uh, I haven't seen patients, uh, but I have not since I've been out and about lately. Uh, and uh, I will be on sort of a quarantine on that. Um, uh, of course, I'm testing to make sure I'm negative. And then good. Susan put up Dr. Gary, Gon Gary Donovitz's website. So if you're interested in the uh, pellets, we can, we're going to do a whole show about that uh, coming up again, because I really do think that's underdiagnosed and undertreated. Uh, and there are people that really know how to do that now, both for men and women, frankly, this sort of perimenopausal stuff and menopause and, and men and elderly. Uh, okay. What's next for Loranlamab? Uh, is there, is there a face? Yeah. You know, I think that what's up next for Loranlamab is they've got to get a big drug company involved to do a big trial. I think that's what's got to happen. Uh, but the FDA may get involved with that and do some sort of fast tracking it because it did look awfully good. Uh, that's what, that's what I'm hoping. Okay. Let me go back to the calls here. Sorry. Uh, sorry. Hang a second. Oh jeez! All right, now let's get that. let's get through this one, Nathaniel, real quick. What's up? Wow! Oh, hello. Thank you for answering my call. I really appreciate it. You bet. Can you hear me? Oh. Yep. Um. So I, I know I have kind of a weird question, but um, it's going to be hard for me to describe here. But um, so I seem to be having this issue now with kind of long term. That is inside of my ears and inside of my head. And it feels like a lot of pressure keeps building up inside of my head. And I get a lot of pain from that. And it kind of comes and goes a little bit. It feels like, mm -hmm. like a, um, we call it like an earache, but it's like really bad. And sometimes like, why, why, why you know, have like you seen uh, a doctor? Have you seen a doctor? I have not seen a doctor about it because, you know, it kind of comes and goes a little bit. 
And I keep thinking that if I just let it go, maybe it'll go away. But it's been a long time now, and it has. How old? How How old are you, Nathaniel? I'm uh, 25. 25. You're 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 behaving like a 40 year old male. Uh, that's when we really start pushing things off into the future. But you need to. Somebody needs to look in your ear and see what's going on. This could be anything. It could be wax sitting against your eardrum. It could be a, a chronic infection. It could be a chronic rupture in your ear. It could be a sinus problem. It could be a eustachian tube problem. It could be a tumor in your nasopharynx. I mean, it could be a lot of things. Do this. Uh, probably, I'm going to bet, mm, probably, mm, I don't know. I, it, 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 this could be a lot of different things, but probably in the middle ear. That's probably where the problem is. But you got to get that work done, okay? Just any doc. The ENT ideally would be the one to see, but you got to see something. Somebody's got to look in your ear and your sinuses and see what's going on. Okay. All right, Cassandra. Hi there, Cassandra. What's going on? Oh, she didn't come up. Hold on. Maybe that was me. There, let's try that again. Hold on one sec, Cassandra. Uh, there we go. Cassandra, Hello? go ahead. Hi there. Hi there. Hi. Hi. I was wondering if you know anything about using Lupron to treat endometriosis and what the lasting effects might be of using that. Well, it's kind of an old, you know, time off. I don't know how to describe it. It's been around for a long time. And Lupron essentially shuts uh -huh. down your entire system. Uh, and what I find is oftentimes the gynecologists don't prepare you for how miserable that makes you. They may essentially throw you into menopause, which is awful. That, yeah, uh, it that's does, what happens. It does prevent the cycling of the endometriosis, and people do often get better. But it's not considered sort of a sophisticated treatment, right? There's a lot of other stuff you can do. The thing that most people look at as the most um, advanced treatment that I know of is uh, microsurgery for endometriosis, where they really, they literally go in and get every little speck of it out of there. Okay. Have you heard, do you know anything about lasting effects? from? I've been on the loop run and I ended up having a hysterectomy for the endometriosis ultimately. Mm. And mm -hmm. since then though, I, my teeth are like crumbling in my mouth. I broke my tooth eating a banana the other day. I have oh, okay. like joint problems. They, I'm being talked about maybe I have fibromyalgia and I, I'm open to maybe I have that also, but I've just read a okay, lot of so, things online that Lupron can cause so, those things. So, so here's the deal. So you, when you shut down your estrogen, your bone and your teeth can break down, right? So you should get a bone density study to make sure you haven't decalcified all your bone, which would be awful. Uh, mood problems are very common after this and even, and certainly with it, but even after it, because sometimes things don't turn back on quite normally. Uh, thirdly, let me give you a little advice about fibromyalgia. Um, I'm thoroughly convinced that the primary problem in fibromyalgia is a sleep disorder. And I know that one of the problems with sleep is that you have pain, <laughs> but if you can get your sleep square, squared away, the fibromyalgia gets a lot better. Okay. Yeah, I agree with that. My sleep, I've worked on my sleep and I have a lot more better days now. Good. Also, let me speculate yeah. this and uh, that, but you know, with pelvic pain, that's complex pelvic pain and fibromyalgia. People that develop those syndromes often have childhood trauma. Did that happen to you? Yep. Yep. That did right. happen to me. And once I started forgiving that and worky doing that shadow work and healing that my life has totally changed and the pelvic pain's not really there 
I just have some of the lasting physical effects that I believe are from the Lupron. Yeah, I, that makes sense to me. I'm so sorry. Uh, yeah. I wish your doctors had started you on some, some Thank you for saying that. working through process earlier. And let me just say also EMDR, if there's any residual effects of the trauma, EMDR, look into that. That really helps. Okay. EMDR, I'll, I'll do that. Thank you, Dr. Drew. Okay, you got it. Fibromyalgia is so damn miserable. It, you know, it, it, the reason, again, when, when people have pelvic pain of, you know, that's complicated, and it's not that she didn't have endometriosis, she had endometriosis. It's just that when you have sexual abuse and that kind of thing, the information that comes out of the pelvic is disorganized and overwhelming. It hits a part of the brain called the insula cortex and fires in distorted ways, let's say. And then that screws up your mood and that screws up your ability to regulate. And then you don't sleep and then you get fibromyalgia. And so it's it's a pretty nasty combination. I'm glad she's taking care of the whole picture, the whole picture. So she got her, unfortunately, in treating the endometriosis, she got the Lupron effects. Uh, okay, let's talk to Matt here. Uh, Matt, go right ahead. Yes, Dr. Matt, Drew, thank you for taking my call. On. What's up? Okay, um, man, a big fan. Wow. Uh, but, okay, question. Um, with the COVID-19, uh, in the beginning, there were reports that were, they were saying that people were getting reinfected with the virus. Um, right. And that was early on. Um, now, okay, without getting into it. Okay, so if people were getting reinfected, then what good is the vaccine? Or was that information bad information? Because I've noticed that there was no reports now saying that people yeah. are getting, were getting or are getting right. reinfected with the COVID, okay. correct? So, so you're, you're right. So you're asking a very, very, very complicated question. You're, 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 you're wading okay. into waters where there's not um, a lot of firm answers for what you're looking for. But let me describe the landscape for you. Uh, at the beginning, we thought there were not reinfections. We thought they were recurrences. But now they have documented some people who went positive, negative, and then positive again and got sick. Those are presumed to be reinfections. In the meantime, they have no, now we don't know if that is actually a reinfection or not, but we're sort of. In, we're sort of thinking that those rare, 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 by the way, cases where that happens, people are accepting that possibly these could be reinfections because we're noticing that the antibody levels are falling off quickly after the original infection. The problem is antibodies are not the only thing. On. The antibodies which are produced by the B cells is not the whole story in COVID. The T cell responsiveness and the T cell mediated phenomenon may be more important, but we don't know how to document that, and we don't know for sure that that's true. Now, in the vaccines, they're getting two to three times the antibody levels from even a severe case of COVID. So the presumption is we're getting an even more exuberant immunity from the vaccine than having had the illness. And there are vaccines now that are specifically going after T cells to try to prepare them to respond in addition to the B cells. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I, I get the gist of it. Yes, sir. I get the gist of it. Okay, okay so okay, good. Uh, I guess a, a follow-up question would be, is just like there's different kinds of, uh, there's different strains of the flu, is yeah. COVID-19 just its own individual strain, or are there different strains of the COVID-19? 
it, it is its own strain, but it is changing across time. But what is not changing is the the spike protein. You, you see the pictures of the virus with all those little spikes on it? That spike protein is fixed. Yes, sir. That does not change. That's how okay. it gets into the human body. So that okay. can't change. And that's what everything's being direct. That's what some of the vaccines are being directed at. I'm going to put you on hold there because there's a lot of background noise. Uh, good calls, by the way, everybody. Thank you for calling. Um, uh, oh, boy. All right, let's try this. Um, Bell, let's give it a shot. Hey, Dr. Drew. Hi, Bell. Um, I was wondering, do you have any advice for an incoming college freshman interested in going to pharmacy school? Are you going in? Are you going to be in the dormitory? Yes, sir. Are you looking for advice on COVID or advice on the career in pharmacy? The career in pharmacy. Okay. So uh, I, I have so much uh, affection and respect for my colleagues in pharmacy and nursing. Th those are fields that get left out of the equation. Nursing, not so much lately because of all the first line work, but certainly pharmacy doesn't get put in the, in the mix. And pharmacists are highly trained scientists. They are highly trained professionals. They have Their judgment is extremely important. And what I would ask you, Bell, is if you have the opportunity to do any kind of hospital work, particularly in and around an ICU, where you're doing some of the complex fluid management and the medication is sort of at the cutting edge, uh, I all I would do when I would do ICU rounds when I was teaching, I would always have a, my pharmacist there, uh, and he was he was I'll never forget him, Stan, uh, and he got a lot out of being there, and we got a lot of out of him being there. So if you can do any kind of whether it's a residency or a postdoc or anything like that, um, do so. Okay. Yes, sir. All right, Bell. Thank you. Have a great have a great time in school. Enjoy it too. It's a lot of fun. Um, okay. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm going through the list here. Oh, boy. All right, let's try to get Storm in here. Let's talk a little Hep C. What's up, Storm? Hello. I love you so much. Thank you. What's going on? Um, I have been diagnosed with Hep C for two years, and I am... I just started my meds today. Um, Where'd you start? I found out that I have fatty liver, and mm. they think that it's hereditary, but it could also oh. be from drinking. Slow down. Wait, 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 wait. You lost me there for a second. <laughs> they, they think the fatty liver is hereditary? Yes. Even though you're drinking and have hepatitis C, which is like a recipe for fatty liver? Yes. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Um, and, yeah, they, so they told me it could be hereditary because my whole family has um, diabetes. Okay. So you're, are you overweight? No. No. See, that's usually non-alcoholic fatty liver is usually, there is also an insulin resistant sort of thing, but all right, let's, let's not get into the weeds on this. Let's talk about your hepatitis C. What, do you know what genotype of hepatitis C you have? I do not. I know I've been tested 
because I mean, I'm on medication now. I just started today. It's, uh, oh, geez, it has a Y, a VY in it in the middle. VY um, in the middle. It's not, a, hmm. It's, well, anyway, it, it's to kill the virus, right? Yes. Yes. And the, the good so news. Well, I was wondering is, if it's okay. Yes. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. You wonder if it's okay. Oh, no. I was wondering if it's okay to drink with my medication. No, it's not. Hepatitis C plus drinking equals cirrhosis. That's, that's one of the most effective ways to cause cirrhosis. So if we're going to be drinking, clear the virus first, okay? And if you have fatty okay. liver already, it, you could pretty quickly get from fatty liver, again, to cirrhosis. Not everybody gets cirrhosis, but it could happen. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, if you have alcoholism and to the point where you're damaging your liver, you ought to look into maybe some treatment. What do you think? Yeah. Well, I mean, I've been yeah. sober. I was a, I was an addict for years, like 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I got sober for two years. And just recently I started drinking a lot. <laughs> well, you, you, um, you were an IV drug addict. That's where you got... You were an yes. IV drug addict. That's where you got yes. the hepatitis C. So you're heading back yes. there again. It, you know, you the your entry level drug is alcohol, and it just you know, you know, you know. Why are you doing this? You know better. You've been sober. I mean, I know, but I'm not. I can't go back to that. I know that I have too many kids for that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, the I also have heard you talk a lot about your wife doing um, hormone replacement. Yeah. Yeah. I have recently got, well, last year I got my tubes removed because I've had five kids. Can't have any more kids. Wow. <laughs> my body can't handle it. Um, so I was wondering, what do I have to do to ask my doctor questions? What do I ask if I think that, I mean, my libido is super low. Um, I just, I don't have any sort of sex drive at okay. all. Okay. Here, here's and I'm all, wondering all if it's my hormones. <laughs> well, it could be, but, but it also could be your liver disease. So everything in its time. First, get the hepatitis C taken care of. Are, are you on Maverit? M-A-V-Y-R-E-T, maybe? That's a V-Y. Is that what you're on? Um, it starts, Harvoni? I think it starts with an H. Um, you're probably on Harvoni. Harvoni is sort of the classic one. Um, okay. But hey, these are all okay. good, and they all can, can clear the virus completely. Um and uh, let me just look at the side effects. If there's anything about libido, it doesn't say particularly. Um, but here's the deal. They First, told me headache and problem. You have a life-threatening illness called hepatitis C, chronic hep C. That's number one. That's got to go. Mm -hmm. You have a second, like potentially life-threatening illness caused fatty, uh, alcoholic or non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. You need to see a hepatologist about that. Then if it's alcohol-related, you're going to have to deal with it. Okay, well, I, I, why they're not addressing your drinking, I, I don't understand. But, but, uh, and then once all that's squared, then you can talk to them about hormone replacement. And we put the we put the uh, on the on our restream on the chat on on YouTube, we put the website for the guy that uh, has a lot of information on that, and you can just take that to your doctor and ask about it. I mean, you can do it sooner than later if you want, but I, okay. you got to take care of these life-threatening problems before you do anything else. I mean, these are really serious. No, stuff. no, I know that. I just, I wanted advice on it because I feel like if I go and ask him, he's going to look at me and say that I'm young and I have all these other problems. I just feel like he's going to push it to the side. 
he he will at this point, but don't don't let them push it off entirely. Uh, it, it, you know, with the when we we in medicine we get focused on dealing with the life threatening problems first, uh, and we don't want anything to get in the way of that or to confound that. That has to be dealt with first. So, uh, okay, okay, we'll talk a little suboxone now. Uh, let me look over on the restream, see how you guys are doing. Uh, I thought that lady just got home. She could, but but it. <laughs> The the liver, the fatty liver affects all the hormonal systems and the proteins the hormones travel on. So it's it's a much more complicated situation. Yeah. Um, I see lots of questions here. Okay. Trichotillomania, a component of PTSD. It could be, right? It could be, but it isn't typically. It's usually a separate thing. Maybe it's triggered by the trauma, though. I could see that. Um, Sin Lu, 20 years sober, went back to heroin, and uh, that's no bueno. Sorry about that. You have to get that treated. We're going to talk a little suboxone in just a minute. Uh, okay, I'm looking through your questions on the on the chat. See if there's anything. Reports this week that New York has falsely reported nursing home COVID-19 deaths by as much as 50%. Uh, Dennis Rodman, if that's my buddy, Dennis Rodman, uh, tell me more. Uh, loved you on uh, The Last Dance. Okay, let's go back to questions here. Uh, this is Seth. All right, Seth, go right ahead. Hi, Seth. Hey, can you hear me, Dr. Drew? I got you, man. <laughs> all right. Uh, first of all, I just want to say I'm a huge fan of your show, um, Tom's show, and Christina's show. They entertain me every single week. Um, thank you. Now I'm gonna, I know you don't have a lot of time. I just want to, I want to break this down real quick for you. I've got, I've got a long past. I'm 32 years old. Okay. Um, <clears throat> had a long history of alcoholism. I've done, you know, I've, I've smoked weed. I've drank a lot, blah, 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 blah. Once upon a time, covered, uh, suboxone, uh, on the street. And eventually I ended up getting into a clinic and a doctor's uh, subscribe me to boxing. Now he told me, um, you've got to ease yourself off this. And, uh, I told him, no, I don't. <laughs> and <laughs> I ended up, I ended up in the emergency room. Basically my question to you is, do you think it's better or worse? Do you think it's good? Number one, do you think it's good for doctors to be prescribing suboxone to people with addiction problems? And number two, how healthy is it for you to take yourself off of it? Because once again, I ended up in the emergency room twice yeah. um, trying to do it myself cold turkey. Yeah, you shouldn't be managing your own medication ever. you got to have somebody managing it, particularly a drug taper like that. And Suboxone is a treacherous taper. It's very difficult. It can be difficult. It can be very uncomfortable. So somebody's got to take you through that, number one. Number two... You asked, how do I feel about doctors prescribing Suboxone? Um, I, I am not a huge fan. Uh, however, I do believe it's important in terms of having that tool in our toolkit. Um, there are plenty of people that aren't going to get sober or whose lives aren't going to be saved any other way. Uh, I'm interested in abstinence-based treatment. That's what I did for many for 30 years. But, um, you know, I, I have a what's called an ex uh an X status in my uh, DEA uh, license where I can prescribe Suboxone and I would if I needed to. 
Uh, I do believe people should come off it. They shouldn't be left on it indefinitely. Well, most cases, but there are cases where it can be right. left on for long periods of time and people are otherwise recalcitrant. So it's kind of complicated, but th- them leaving you to do it yourself is not good. And you being sort of a buprenorphine addict, you, you know, that's your drug of choice. Uh, and it's not a great idea to be stringing, stringing you along on Suboxone. Uh, okay, really quickly here, we had an interesting uh, sleep question. Uh, and then we're going to go back to the restream here. Uh, Matthew, go ahead. Oh, my God, Dr. Drew. Oh, my God, I can't believe I'm on here. Um, what's up, Mommy? Um, Mommy. I have, like, this weird thing that's been happening to me for, like, I want to say the last five or six years. Um, mm-hmm. I have some really, really intense dreams. Usually they, in, like, entail me being chased or, or a task that I have to complete that's just so menial, and but I, I can't do it. And then... Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be scared out of the dream, but the dream continues. Like I, I'm, I'm awake. My eyes are open. I'm conscious, yeah. but I'm, yeah. I'm still dreaming. I'm looking around and, and this has been are happening you, recurring, like every are, two are or frozen? three months for like the, um, at the beginning I am, but then it, it, it lets off. I, I, I don't know how to explain it. it it's such a weird, yeah. visceral experience. It's, it's a it's a sleep disorder. That's a sleep disorder. Uh, and people can have varying states of what are called hypnagogic hallucinations. So you're still asleep technically, but your eyes are opening and the dream is going on and you're literally hallucinating. And th- that can take many, many different forms. There's a lot of variations on that theme. I mean, essentially every alien abduction story is a hypnagogic hallucination. Uh, people seeing ghosts or having the devil lying on top of them, or people believe something came in and tried to have sex with all, all kinds of fa- phantasmagoric fantasies. But oftentimes, because there's also a sleep paralysis very often associated with this, they feel like something's lying on top of them and preventing them from moving. So it's a sleep disorder. They can yeah, oftentimes- uh, go ahead. I was just saying that oftentimes, yeah, I would feel exactly that. Just, just so just a weight on top of me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's a very, very common thing. And there are doctors that, you know, doctors that run sleep clinics and things like that can help you. Uh, sometimes it can be associated with seizure phenomenon and night terrors and things. So it does need a real evaluation. And, um, you know, it's unpleasant, very unpleasant. So why not get that treated? Thank you guys for those calls. Let me quickly get back to the uh, restream here. Um, Flora May saying her kids, her child has those, uh, sleep terrors and things, and they're very nasty. Uh, the acorns having crazy dreams. Um, he's relieved when he wakes up, he or she, um, don't forget heroin was a cure for opium heads. Yes. Roy, Roy joy, Roy joy. Um, I do a whole lecture on all the treatments, uh, that, uh, the, the U S medical, uh, system has provided to drug addicts as the non-addictive treatment for drug addiction. It's unbelievable. Heroin addiction was going to treat alcoholism. Cocaine was going to treat heroin addiction. It's just insane what we did. Always looking for the whole holy grail. The holy grail is the non-addictive, particularly opiate to take, you know, to treat addiction. It's insane. It's never going to be, it's no such thing. It clearly is contrary to biology. Uh, though Suboxone has been a good, useful adjunct, uh, it's also not a cure. It's not cured. It's also addictive. So you have to be very careful with that. It doesn't, it just doesn't cause the same um, process of addiction as say a heroin does. And Suboxone lately has been shown to be extremely useful in chronic pain syndrome. Really good. Uh, 
so that's where I'm mostly enthusiastic about it. Okay, I want to look up the chat stream again, see what you guys are up to. Uh, am I floating over LA? No, I'm not floating over LA right now. Uh, I am. Oh, I am floating over LA. Oh, well, there you go. There's, I, I thought I was having a hypnagogic hallucination, but it was just a, 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 an image behind me. Okay. Thoughts on testosterone replacement for a 60 year old man who has prostate cancer 17 years ago, post prostatectomy. Uh, Tamara, uh, I fit that profile. I'm not quite that old, but I fit that profile for sure. And uh, when I first had my prostate out, I told my uh, surgeon, I said, you're going to put me on testosterone replacement uh, five years out. Eh, they won't. Uh, they, they just worry that it's going to, because, you know, the primary treatment for prostate cancer is androgen blockade. And there's at least some reason to believe that uh, you can stimulate, particularly metastasis, if you're taking testosterone. Now, the question is, if somebody could bring you back to a normal level of testosterone if you're depressed, but that's a hard, that's a hard line to walk. Because um, we really don't know what an exact normal level is for a given individual, and if you overshoot that, you can stimulate the cancer, and that's no bueno. Not to say that no, I'm not saying no one would do it. I'm not saying that. Uh, okay, you got. Um, I was peeking in my nicotine use again this summer. The acorn. Uh oh, I dreamt I was executed in a stadium. Probably the rooster I've ever had. Well, you know where it came from. It's the nicotine. Yeah. Uh, Norco five milligrams, three times a day, not addicted. Yes. Kern. Uh, what are you using that for? Uh, you may not be addicted, but you are certainly dependent. Uh, uh, Steven prostate exam is the worst. No prostate biopsy is the worst. Uh, same thing, but with a giant long needle. Uh, <laughs> okay. So let's, um, I'm going through your stuff. Hmm. Talk about iron deficiency, anemia, and COVID. Uh, mm, uh, I don't. Yeah, I don't know any. I've not read data about that. I mean, iron deficiency, anemia is easily treated with iron. The question is, how did you get it? Why were you losing blood? That's how you lose the iron, and so uh, that should be easily correctable. So I'm not quite sure where you're going with that that question. Is Sotalol good for atrial fibrillation? Uh, yeah, it's one of the drugs that's good for that. It's not necessarily a first line, but uh, it's a good one. Uh, do removed lipomas grow back? Uh, they can. They don't typically. Does testosterone go back to normal after stopping opiate? That's a great question. So testosterone drops people's, excuse me, opiates uh, suppress the pituitary production of certain hormones that create testosterone uh, in the testes, and your testosterone just go to zip. Uh, on opiates, particularly high doses. And it usually does come back, though sometimes it can stay depressed. If you've been on opiates for long, long, long periods of time, uh, you might want to look at testosterone replacement. Okay. Uh, I think I'm going to have to wrap everything up. Uh, are we good here, Susan? Anything from your standpoint? Yeah, we're good. Caleb, on your end, are we good? Everything's good here. All right. I'm sorry I haven't gotten to all the calls, but uh, I've got a I've got to stop somewhere. We appreciate your calls. We appreciate your comments on the chat restream. You gotta do Fox uh, 11. Yeah, I've got to go do Fox 11, uh, which is the, you can see it at fox11tv.com. Is that right? Fox, Fox, Fox LA. Fox 11.com slash live. Fox11.com slash live. So it's not Fox News. It's a local Fox affiliate in Los Angeles you know, where they play uh, Family uh, Guy. That's FoxLA.com. Uh, FoxLA.com slash live. Yeah, we said fox11.com. That's foxla.com. LA.com. Yeah. 
Boxelay.com. Um, and uh, it's going to be oh, actually it works. Fox11.com also works. Oh, Fox11.com works also. How about that? So Foxelay or Fox11. Um, but there's a baseball game on right now on Fox11. If you look at if you're in Los Angeles or if you go to the website, and uh, we have to time ourselves till after the uh, baseball game ends. Uh, and then Liz Habib has her own show for half an hour, and then we come on at that. I, I'm going to bet it's going to be around 8 or 8.30 Pacific time. Why use this Yeah, we might, we're, we might test. Last night we did it in a room that made me look like I was in a sauna. Um, tonight we're going to do it maybe with this backdrop, so I'm going to be floating over L.A. Uh, on L.A., just like we, uh, just like you said here. Your head a little bit. Oh yeah. So we'll see. Okay. You all, thank you all for being here. Thank uh, Caleb for producing this. Uh, thank you, Susan, for setting it all up here in New York, such as we are. And, um, who else do I need to thank? Was anybody else? I, I can't see the Susan. Caleb, did your wife help out on this one? Yes. Taylor was call screening. Oh, thank you for screening. Tyler and Taylor. Thank you for screening the calls. Appreciate <laughs> it very, very much. All right. That's it, guys. Everyone stay safe. Wear your masks. Keep your distancing. And uh, this, watch this thing collapse. It'll get, it'll get much, much, much uh, lower numbers of cases as we go along here. Let's, let's go get this thing. See you tomorrow. Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. This is just a reminder that the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care or medical evaluation. This is purely for educational and entertainment purposes. I'm a licensed physician with over 35 years of experience, but this is not a replacement for your personal physician, nor is it medical care. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, don't call me, call 911. If you're feeling hopeless or suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255 anytime, 24-7, for free support and guidance. You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com help.